and we will continue in the book of Revelation as we have been. All right. Now, as you might recall, uh, last week we were in the book of Revelation uh, looking at the seven seals, the seven seals that uh, Jesus Christ as the Lamb was able to open. And we saw six of them last week. We saw this group of four. And these four were the ongoing judgment throughout this church age against unbelievers, things like war and conquest, famine and death. We saw the fifth seal, where the martyrs and the persecuted were crying out from the altar of God that justice may be done, that vengeance might be enacted. And we saw the sixth seal, which was this final judgment, where the final judgment came and the world was crying out, the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now this week, we are looking at those same events, but we're shifting perspective. So before, we were looking at the unbeliever and what the seven, the seven seals of judgment would look like for them. And now we're jumping back and looking at it from the perspective of the believer. How do they experience those same judgments? What does it look like for them? What does it feel like? How do they experience the, this ongoing judgment and the ultimate judgment to come? What promises are there for us? And we're going to see three things. We're going to see that he seals the servants, that he saves them in the end, and that he silences all that he might bring justice. So seals and salvation and silence. We're going to see ultimately that in the midst of this judgment, he seals them to protect them, he saves them in the end, and he brings about the ultimate justice and judgment on their behalf. With that, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you keep every promise. We thank you that you bring justice and that you can protect us in the midst of suffering and persecution and, and even death. Lord, we ask that we might not look to ourselves, that we might not trust ourselves or our power, our abilities, but Lord, that we would trust you on the last day to make all things right, to wipe away every tear, and to bring us into your presence with great joy. We pray this in Christ's name. So first, we're going to see this, that before, before any of these seals had been opened, there was a sealing of all believers in Christ. Chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of heaven, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel descending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 
144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. You're not sure what's going to come next. The anticipation. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of of Levi. 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar. 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun. 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph. 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. All right. Uh, So last week, last week, we saw these four horsemen. These four horsemen, which... uh, in other parts of the Old Testament, it talks about that they are the, the great wind of judgment. And there's this an ongoing judgment that will be throughout the age against unbelievers. But before any of that happens, we have a promise. We have a holding back of that judgment, a calm before the storm. Four angels are sent to restrain those very same four horsemen. Why? to seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. No judgment can come until the servants have been sealed. Now, you've all heard of the the mark of the beast, and you've wondered what that is and heard people scared about it. Uh, This is a different one. This is God's version. This is the, the mark of God, the seal. Later in Revelation, we're going to learn that it is the name of God and Jesus Christ written across their foreheads is the mark of ownership. That in the midst of all of this judgment and all of this suffering, these ones belong to God. Now that is, that is a great promise. That if you are sealed No one can snatch you away. No one can take you from God's hand. All of the world may crumble around you, but you will still be God's. And if you are his, then you cannot be torn away. You cannot be destroyed. The suffering of the world cannot pull you away from him. Because you are his. He has made you his. By his power, by his sealing. And he will protect you. Now, we have to be careful here. What, does he, what is he saving or does he protecting us from? Is he protecting us from physical suffering? Will all of that tribulation just kind of pass by or, or not really come to pass for believers? Now, we've already seen. We've already seen churches that have been told to, to continue to suffer, to even die for the sake of the gospel. Too often we have this, this, this story has been presented that way off in the future, there will be time of trial and tribulation. That that time in the future will be called the great tribulation, but we'll be snatched out of that. and We'll never have to experience it. That is not the promise that is offered here. No, he's sealing that these people who, that they might, experience the suffering. It's because they're going to experience it that they need to be sealed. 
they're going to experience the, the war and famine, the, the suffering and the tribulation that is around them. They are not going to be brought out of the world. But they will be protected in the midst of it. That is what this seal is about. This is spiritual protection in the midst of the judgment. And so what, what are they protected from? All of this suffering, it could cause those who are in Christ to, to fall away, to, to shake their fists at God. But what does God say? No, like, that will not happen. And in fact, I'm going to use that suffering not to make you reject me, but reject the world and sin and the kingdom of Satan to see through the lies that you might look forward to this heavenly reality. And not only will the suffering not destroy you, no, it will build you up in your faith. It will transform you into the image of Christ. You'll be more beautiful and glorious in proclaiming the word of Christ because of this suffering. The tribulation will, will make you all the more able to praise in the last day. And in the final judgment, that seal will be your ticket into the new heavens and the new earth. It will be your protection from that final death, the final judgment. The Bible calls us the second death. Think of it as the, as we'll look next week, as remember the, the blood that is put over the door and Passover. To some extent, Israelites were protected from suffering, but they were in the midst of it. But that final, that final death judgment passes over them because of the blood of the Lamb. That is what this seal will do on the very, very last day. Death will pass over them, and the second death will have no hold on them. In the words of Jesus, John 6, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Have you put your faith in Christ? Are you believing in him? If so, do you believe you have been sealed? That he will protect you? That he will get you to that final day? Or do you think it's all on you? Do you think you do worry about your, your weakness and your ability to stand in the last day? To endure suffering? Live as if you are sealed confidence of sealed ones, the confidence that the power of God is behind you and with you, and we'll see you through. Now, why describe those who are sealed in such an odd way? Because you might read this and you might think, well, how is this for me? I'm not one of these tribes. Why, why is it even describing it? If this is a promise to me, to general believers and the ongoing suffering, why describe them in terms of the 12 tribes as 12,000 times 12? Uh, the first thing you do not want to do 
this doesn't mean 150,000 people are getting into heaven. All right, it's, it's, that might sound silly, but that is how some people believe. Or they think there's a higher heaven and like some people make it to super heaven and, and like your chances of getting in there are pretty low, so like lower your bar. Uh, all right, not what we're saying. All right, we've said throughout that, uh, that these promises are usually given first in Old Testament language. Steve actually, in his call to worship, he mentioned some of those promises that, that Israel would be redeemed, that they'd be brought to a new Jerusalem, that they would be the kingdom and protected and, and delivered from all evil. Those promises were given first to Israel, to the 12 tribes. And so often, Revelation presents a vision, and, and John hears, he hears the language of the Old Testament and all of these promises fulfilled in that sense. And so you could say, well, yeah, those, those promises have to be fulfilled. They're promised in the Old Testament. Maybe this is just a promise to the Old Testament people then. All right, but we have hints. We have hints. All right, 12 is not just a random number in the Bible, and especially not here. All right, 12 is a number of completeness. That's why there's 12 disciples, 12 tribes. It's an all-encompassing number. We've already seen that throughout Revelation. All right, it's 12 times 12. This is fullness upon fullness. And then we multiply the whole thing by 1,000, and this is the spiritual language of everyone. Everyone. We have to get into the mindset of Revelation and receive the symbols as they are. This is his way of saying everyone of this nation, of these people. All right. But why say it like this? Why say it like this? Uh, all right. There's other places that sound like this. It's usually in military censuses. Right, so you talk, talk about how all the troops you have, and they're all lined up, and which tribes they're from. And what happens here? Suddenly we see that all these people who are being persecuted and are suffering and, and under this banner of, of the sealed judgments, and they could feel like just sitting ducks. But here they are presented as warriors. They are presented as the army of God. And they are not sealed that they might just be protected and, and live in civilian comfort. No, they are given these seals that they might go into a suffering world and do battle and wage war with the evil and the darkness with the confidence that they will make it through victorious. Which is a promise that is important because what is our battle strategy? Our battle strategy is to suffer and to endure and to, to bear crosses upon our backs and endure the hatred of the world, maybe even be put to death. And we could say, well, we, we are just sent to die. No, we are, we are sent to live. And that seal ensures it. That is why we're told it this way. And so I tell you, Are you fighting? Are we a fighting people? 
Are we at war with the world of evil and of suffering? Are we seeking civilian life or are we building up the kingdom and and advancing it forward? Confident that we cannot lose and we will not lose. Though suffering and death may come down upon us, the seal will protect us. Let's keep going. So from here, right, John was hearing all of this. And throughout Revelation, you hear it, and then he turns, and he sees it in all of its fulfillment. And this is what he sees. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and where have they come from? I said to him, sir, you know, he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them or any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 144,000, who are they? They are a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe and people and languages. They are everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's where we, there's this promise to Israel. And they might have thought they knew what that entailed. That it would be this nation, this people, this group. We realize it's fulfilled in this expansion to every nation every tribe and tongue and people, everyone who puts their faith in Christ. They become this one nation. This one people, all together worshiping before one throne. It is so much more glorious than they ever could have imagined back then. You consider yourself part of true Israel. For all of the promises of the Old Testament, your promises, is this your people? That's how we ought to view it. We together are praising one multitude. All right, so this is every believer, and and what are they doing now? They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Why is it important they're standing? Remember what the Unbelievers were crying out, 
Who can stand before this judgment? These ones can. This great multitude can. Not because they're not under judgment, but because Christ has borne that judgment for them. They've already been through the judgment in Christ. He has been the judged one on their behalf. And so now they stand. They stand before the throne in the midst of all of this judgment. And they are clothed in white. How did they get white robes? Because they, they were just so holy and perfect in this life because they never sinned. Verse 14. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We just did baptism. That was a symbol. Being washed with the blood of the Lamb. It is by faith in Christ, it is by receiving the blood. The only thing that can wash our stained lives clean. We are no less stained, but we have been washed clean. That is how you get a white robe. And here they are, standing in victory, presented in all holiness and perfection. We think of that picture in Ephesians of him presenting a bride to himself, stainless and without blemish, perfect and white. This is the church, this is the bride. Have you washed your robes in the blood of Christ? You understand that they cannot be dirtied again. You cannot destroy the perfection that Christ has given you. That white can never be stained again. The blood of Christ has washed you. And what do they do? They're, they're waving palm branches. All right, what does that mean? All right, when did they wave palm branches in the Old Testament? It was the Feast of Tabernacles. Everyone's favorite feast. All right, uh, all right. Why do you, why do you, what does this talk about? Okay, so they were wandering through the wilderness in tents, tabernacles, and at the end, they made it to the promised land. And to celebrate the fact that God had made them, got them through the wilderness and had walked with them every step of the way, they, they waved palm branches. Like, hey, these used to be our home, but now we are in our heavenly home. God delivered us. And now these heavenly people, they're waving palm branches because this whole life is a wilderness wandering. And this great tribulation was a journey through the desert towards the promised land, and they have finally made it, and they can celebrate the spiritual promised land that they have entered as their new home. That God has been faithful to deliver them through the wilderness. And now that he has delivered them, they cry out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They were sealed, and here they have made it. God fulfills his promises. He did it. And they start, they, they hear this, this proclamation about themselves. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. I want to remind you. Heaven is not just this wonderful place where God happens to live. 
heaven is the place where the wonderful God of the universe dwells. And where we get to enjoy the presence of God in all of his glory and beauty and love and majesty and power for all eternity. And the joy of the saints here is not so much, wow, I have made it to heaven. It is that the object of all of my affection and love is standing before me and I get to worship him in his presence forevermore. God is not a sideshow in heaven. He's the main attraction. He's the whole point. And the reason that they're rejoicing, that they're out of persecution, is not that they're suffering. It's because now they're free to worship their God and stand in his presence and delight in him. And they have gotten the thing that they long for. Do we long for it? Does your heart long to stand in his presence? to worship him, to experience him, to be sheltered under him. We cannot speak of any more glorious promise and any greater joy. And if we had capacity to understand that, we would delight in it so much more. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to to help us to enjoy that promise. They shall hunger no more, nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. All the sufferings of the wilderness, they're gone. They're not starving. They're not thirsty. They're not baking under the hot sun. Why? Because the lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. Now, if if Revelation is, is merely physical and, and literal, you might think, I've, I haven't been thirsty in a long time. And I certainly haven't been hungry in a while, except I might be hungry right now, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be fed. All right, what is this? This is spiritual thirst and spiritual hunger. All right. Do you long for more? Do you look to be to be filled up and just cannot find it in this life? Do you experience like the tastes of worship and recognize it like it? No, I, I want more. I'm constantly empty and I... And we try to squeeze from this life some little drop of satisfaction and contentment and, and meaning. Or what is being said, this is... The lamb will give us living water. The lamb who becomes the shepherd. Who leads us beside still waters and lays us down in green pastures. He will fulfill us. He will make us content in him, in his glory. In a way that we cannot fathom and cannot find in this life. You long for it. Do you really believe you cannot find that anywhere else? Are you tired of running throughout the world trying to to find it? It is given by grace as a gift here. It is the only way to get it. And finally, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will wipe away their tears 
and no more tears will come. There will be no more reason to cry anymore. Now, I've, I've talked to some of you, and you've, you hear that promise, and you think, well, I, I can't believe it. There are things that, are happened, that have happened that cannot be undone. Or, or how could I know the realities of heaven and hell and not weep? Maybe God is going to, going to tear out my memories so I can't remember all the sad things. All right. We have little faith. And I'm with you in that little faith. No, God can redeem in such a way that the tears really will no, need, no longer need to flow. Or this suffering, once we see the glory of God, we'll see it in its right light. And we understand that, no, that suffering was for the glory of God. It was worth it. And I actually, I, I don't need to weep over it any longer. Or there are injustices and, and horrors that happened. But God has made them right. All this is a call to faith. Do you believe that God can wipe away every tear? That he can write every sorrow? C.S. Lewis, he talks about how heaven, heaven works its way backwards and turns sorrows into joys because they're for the glory of God and reworks all things, retells the story. This is a long sermon, sorry. All right. Uh, all right, one last thread. One last thread. We just had, okay, all the tears are wiped away, but there's a problem. There's a problem. The fifth seal. In the fifth seal, what happened? When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of the God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? If the tears are going to cease, what needs to happen? There needs to be justice. There must be justice. And they've been praying, hey, all this evil stuff has happened and happened and happened. Are you going to do anything about it? And there's one last seal, the seventh seal where God does something about it. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar, that same altar, with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of incense and the prayers of the saints rose up before God from the hand of the angels. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it down on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumbling and flashes of lightning and earthquake. Why silence? Why silence? Why is that the last and final seal? This is the silence of listening. All things become silence in heaven so that God might listen to the prayers of his saints. 
that all of the prayers that were offered and that stood before the altar and had been gathered together, they are finally heard and they are answered. God silences all things that might, he might hear the prayers of his saints for justice and for vengeance and for judgment. Now, we might think that that's, that's a cruel and terrible end to this. Right? We serve a God who is just. We serve a God who, who cares about sin and who cares to make things right. And the reality is that you care. You care about things being right. If you have been wronged, you care. And I know some of you have been so wronged that your life will be changed forever in a way that it can, it can never be restored. And that you carry around with you like bitterness and sorrow and anger with nothing to do with it. And yes, we can forgive, but but what about justice? Where is it? What, what happens to it? And we might cry out and pray and, and weep, and God seems not to answer. This is the answer. That all of these prayers have been gathered and gathered and gathered. And there's incense, which comes from sacrifice. It's a smoke of sacrifice. Every sacrifice, every death, every persecution, every suffering creates this aroma of incense that goes up to God. A call for justice. And in this last judgment, it's all gathered together. And all of the cosmos are silent that all these things might be heard. And then they are gathered up into an ultimate and final judgment and cast down upon the earth. That is the seventh seal. That is a justice, that is a, a judgment that you cannot manufacture for yourself. That is something that you, you cannot muster, that is something that we can only pray for. That's why we sang earlier, what do we do? We, we, we sing we, and battle on our knees because we trust God to have the victory in the end. You cannot bear this judgment. You cannot enact, enact vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And he will enact justice such that there'll be no need for anger or tears anymore. Do you believe this? Do you need this? Some of you need this. I need this. So I can let go and move on and wait and wait for the half hour of silence that will make all things right. The Lord has sealed his people. The Lord will save us. And in that silence, he'll make all things right. This is 
This is our, our hope in the midst of this great suffering. And we praise Jesus that we are not under his wrath, that he has washed us clean by his blood. Amen. Father, we praise you as the one who rules over all. We thank you for your throne. We thank you for the lamb. Lord, we know that we are under that same judgment, that all of our sins make us just as loathsome and guilty as the rest. And we thank you for Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed. Thank you for washing us clean and giving us white robes. Thank you for sealing us to protect us from the suffering and, and trials that are in this life. Father, would you see us through this great tribulation? Lord, would you fill our hearts with a desire for that ultimate day when all things will be made right and you'll stand in your presence enjoying you as our God and that great lamb who is our shepherd. Lord, get us to that day. We pray in Christ's name.